turn your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 7. Jesus here is dealing uh, with the issue of traditions. We're told here that then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, uh, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels, uh, couches. Uh, And then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples... Uh, do, or why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with unwashed hands? And he answered and he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, for it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers, cups, many other such things you do. And he said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God, that you, do not keep your, uh, that, you, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father, or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me, it is korban. That means it is a gift devoted to God. And then you no longer let him do anything for his mother or father, making the word of God of no effect for your tradition which you have handed down. And many such things you do. And when he had called all the multitude to himself, uh, he said to them, Hear me, every one, and understand There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. Now he's speaking here about food. But the things which come out of the man, those are the things that defile a man or a person. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had entered, when he entered a house uh, away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. Well, actually, it really wasn't a parable. And he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Uh, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? And we'll, we'll qualify that in a moment. Uh, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men or mankind... Proceed, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, uh, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, uh, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and these are the things that defile. Amen. With that, let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the marvelous and wonderful grace of God that we have through Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we're thankful that you've given us, Lord, uh, redemption. Lord, you've given us, Lord, a new nature. Lord, whereby we're able to, Lord, appreciate, Lord, your word and the truth. Even, Lord, when it speaks to our heart, even when it convicts us, Lord, we're grateful for the word of God. And we pray this morning as we open it afresh that, Lord, you'd minister to us. Lord, help us, we pray, to have a deeper appreciation and understanding for these matters regarding the things that, Lord, we can let into our life and the things that, Lord, are uh, traditions, Father, that uh, are really not so important as maybe perhaps we may think they are. So, Lord, we uh, commit this time to you, and, Lord, we, uh, we bless and praise you, and uh, we're thankful, Lord, that you have given us, Lord, your truth. Now, Lord, may it be applied. May we have, Lord, understanding in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, the, the title of our message is Tradition versus Transformation. And anytime I hear this word tradition, uh, it always reminds me of a musical going back to the 1970s, and uh, some of us are shaking our heads because they know exactly what I'm going to speak about, and uh, that is the, uh, the musical uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And it was a story about a Jewish family uh, who were in the midst of political upheaval in Tsarist Russia. Um, right around the time of the Bolshevik Revolution. But it was also to a time of cultural change that was taking place within the family. And it was a very Jewish traditional family. And uh, the father, uh, who happens to be not only the head of the house, but he's a milkman. And in his um, little forays back and forth, delivering milk and being in his barn, he's always talking to God. They're always carrying on this conversation with the Lord about the cultural changes and the things that, you know, that, were, that were going on. And one of the pictures that I have of Ratevya, and that was his name, is him uh, uh, dramatically uh, stomping on the boards of his barn as he's singing the song because it was a musical. And uh, the theme of the whole program was uh, Fiddler on the Roof and... Uh, uh, the song that he sang was this, Without tradition, life is as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. And we come to find that out, that tradition is important. And to them, it was very important. Uh, and there are good traditions, uh, you know, that we have, and there are also bad traditions. And of course, as we look at our story here in Mark chapter 7, we realize that there were traditions that became uh, more important and began to just sort of supersede the word of God. And that's what Jesus is coming to speak to. He's speaking about some of these religious, uh, you know, these, re- these things became institutional, these traditions, uh, which were well intended. Uh, but as they began to just sort of, uh, uh, in, in process of time, they just began to overtake or just supersede the word of God where people were more concerned about tradition, and I don't know about you, but I grew up in a very traditional Christian church where the church had so many traditions that it basically uh, set aside the, the commandments of God. It set aside the word of God. And, uh, and I remember, you know, when we were just challenged by, you know, were we going to keep, you know, some of these, you know, traditions or were we going to let them go? And, uh, and I remember thinking that eventually, and not only let them go, I just sort of, I, I let them all go at one time as I walked away from, you know, my um, quasi-Christian, you know, upbringing. And, uh, 
And you come to find out there are many things that people will believe, and particularly even in a religious kind of setting, uh, that are things that have been incorporated into a certain belief system, but they really have no foundation or they have no real root in the Word of God. And uh, that's the situation that we're kind of dealing with here. Now, for the Jewish people, the Mishnah said this, that tradition is like a fence, that you put these fences around the Bible or biblical truth so that you have to jump over these fences before you even get to a place where you're going to break uh, the law. And, uh, but what happens is there's is, is this, this constant building of fences, all these different traditions, and people get so caught up in these traditions that they be, these traditions become, in a sense, God's law to them. And really what they are is they're, con they're, con they're commandments of men, uh, well-intended, uh, but not always inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and again, the design of the tradition was to keep, keep people from breaking you know, the law of Moses. You know, there, uh, there were a couple uh, uh, Sabbath laws that uh, were popular in that time. Um, I, over, the, over the course, you know, of, of time, at different times when we're speaking of this, we, we've shared, uh, you know, some of them. Um, one of them was uh, that you were to never look in a mirror on the Sabbath day because if you saw a gray hair you would be tempted to pull it out. And if you pulled it out, that would equate to work. Uh, kind of crazy, kind of convoluted, but that's, was, that was one of the laws. Another law was you were to not carry a handkerchief uh, on the Sabbath because if you dropped it and you had to pick it up, that basically amounted to work. But you were allowed to wear it. If you, if you had the, the, the kerchief or handkerchief, you were allowed to tie it around your neck. That was a different situation. Uh, you know, one of the ones we shared before was uh, you weren't allowed to spit on the Sabbath day. You weren't allowed to spit you, on the dirt because if someone uh, with their foot hit that spit, was, was, was making mud, and somehow that equated to work. And again, it gets kind of crazy, but uh, when it comes to religious traditions, uh, not just within the story here, uh, but even within the religions of the world today, they can get very far out. They can get very crazy. Now, it started with this in verse 2. They were criticizing the disciples. Uh, and that's the thing sometimes about keeping traditions, that when people keep certain traditions, it, it can sort of um, generate a, a feeling of self-righteousness. Um, you know, as if, because I keep these traditions, sometimes we can do this as a group. Uh, Christianity, you know, through the course of, of church history, has done this at different times. Like, let me just use this example. Uh, we, let's say if we impose a dress code in our group. Well, eventually, uh, it's believed that, uh, you know, we're living, you know, we're, we, we are establishing a higher standard, uh, you know, in our particular group, and we can begin to look down at other people. Um, I can remember one time... Uh, uh, coming into a church and having people just sort of, you know, look us up and down because we weren't in the uniform of the day. Uh, we weren't dressed like everybody in that church. And, uh, and that's why I think it's important, you know, God says, you know, he looks on the heart. He, he's concerned about what's in the heart. Uh, not so much, you know, what we're wearing, you know, the external things so often, you know, as people, you know, that we can attach a lot of importance to. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of judgmentalism when somebody else is not living up to our particular code. 
And sometimes you find this in different groups um, that, uh, you know, when you perhaps maybe join a church, you find out there are certain, there's a, a list of certain things that you have to do. And, uh, and those things may be well, uh, they may be good things, they may be well intended, but sometimes when people begin to live up to these, these enforced codes that are put on them, it gets very legalistic and self-righteous when we begin to look at other people uh, that are not maybe dressed like us, or they don't cut their hair like us, or they don't exact, act exactly like us. There's a danger in those kinds of things. And so uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were always watching Jesus. They were always looking in some kind of way to find fault with him and the disciples. And, of course, when you think about the disciples, there was always something they could find fault with these guys. Uh, uh, we see that as we read the Gospels because they were not religious people. Uh, they were just, you know, they were just everyday folk that the Lord had called, you know, into this special discipleship and relationship with him. I, I mean, I imagine they held, you know, certain kind of customs and traditions to a certain degree, but they were not real religious individuals. So when the, so when the Pharisees and the scribes observed Jesus and the disciples, there was always something to pick on. There was always something to find fault. And again, as you look at verse 3, this washing of hands in a special way, uh, the, the big issue was external cleanliness. They were so concerned about the outside. You know, Jesus said that at one point, you know, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside, you know, is full of extortion and all these other things. You know, the most important thing in our relationship with the Lord is not what we're wearing or not the external things so often, uh, but really the internal things. You know, what's in our heart? You know, what's in our life? How do we treat people? You know, are we compassionate? Are we loving? Are we kind? You know, God is so concerned about what's on the inside. Uh, and we see that here in the life uh, of Jesus and the disciple as he trains them. And yet he's facing off with this, you know, very self-righteous, legalistic kind of religious system that everybody, um, well, maybe not everybody, but for the most part, the nation was sort of caught up in that. And I would imagine the people that weren't religious looked at you know, the people, you know, some of the Pharisees that would walk through a crowd, and they wouldn't even let someone, they wouldn't even want their robe to touch someone. Um, and they would probably look at these individuals and think, wow, how rigorous they are, you know, about uh, how they tithe and, you know, their dietary regulations and their clothing and, and all of that sort of, sort of thing. And I imagine a lot of people would look at that and say, man, that must be, if that is holiness, I'll never make it. I'll never arrive at that place if that's it. And that's always the problem with false religion. When people look at it and, and they are told that this is the way the, you know, that, you know, that you have to be if you want to be spiritual or you have to be religious. And I can remember you know, growing up in the Catholic Church and, and I remember learning about the saints. Because the saints, if you were a Catholic, you know the saints were put on a pedestal. They were put on, they were untouchable. They were considered to be perfect people. And I can remember clearly thinking, forget it. I'm never going to get to a place, you know, where I would, you know, uh, be able to arrive at that kind of perfection, that kind of moral perfection, because in a sense, I knew, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I didn't have any desires that would even take me in that, that direction. But isn't it wonderful about what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us? because of that work of atonement and salvation, that you and I are a saint. Isn't it amazing? 
And we don't walk around calling one another, you know, St. Harry and St. George and St. Martha and that sort of thing. But we are. That, that's a name for, for a true believer. Um, and, and when you just think about what God has done for us, he gives us a righteousness that, you know what, we could never acquire or attain on our own. Now, in verse 4, this is one of the things they did. Uh, They wouldn't eat unless they washed and many other things, uh, which is the washing of cups and copper vessels and captives and everything in that religious kind of uh, environment. Now, there were certain um, requirements for the priest. But if you knew anything about the Old Testament priesthood, uh, if you were to look at a priest, you would, you would look at somebody that you thought was a butcher. Uh, because of the sacrificial system and so forth, they were covered oftentimes, you know, in, in offering up sacrifices. They were oftentimes covered in blood. So it was very rigorous cleanliness uh, requirements for the priest. But these things were adopted by all the so-called pious individuals. So if you wanted to be pious, if you wanted to be spiritual, then you had to adopt these principles that were basically designed simply, you know, for the priest. And when it comes to religious purification, when you look at the religions of the world, there are some crazy, wild stuff that's going on out there. You know, there's something interesting. Even sometimes people in a secular sense, uh, I've heard of this fetish, uh, that somebody may have where they, ha- where they feel that they, they're, they're washing their hands all the time. You ever heard of, you ever heard of that fetish? They're, 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 they're washing their hands. Um, they're, they're trying to be clean all the time. And I think that's a spiritual thing. I think that goes back to the fact that, we, that somehow intrinsically we know, you know, at our core, you know, person that we're not clean and, and that there's only one that really can make us clean. And, uh, and so there's all kinds of religious rites. Like, for instance, in, in Hinduism, uh, the River Ganges. Um, if you've ever looked at that, it's sort of about as dirty as the, 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 the Mississippi River. And yet, uh, religious purification rites are to go down there. Uh, and, and I've seen the, the, the individuals in India thousands of them on the shore going through ritual washings and things of that, you know, particular nature. And I was thinking about this, what, this came to mind, and you have to, you know, forgive me for this and bear, bear with me on it. But um, I remember hearing about something that came out of Hinduism many years ago that, um, that I didn't realize until I, until I did some investigation on it, but it was actually uh, Kariga Yoga. Uh, it's a part of yoga. And what they do for, and a lot of times too, when you, when you read anything about yoga, you're going to hear this argument that yoga is not spiritual. It is spiritual. Don't, don't be deceived. It is a spiritual thing. Just because it may be physical, you know, in its exercises and that sort of thing, um, you can't divorce it from the spirituality that's there. And there's, one, and there's many different forms of yoga, many different forms, many different kinds. And one of them is Kriga Yoga. I think it's spelled K-R-I uh, G-A or Y-A, and, uh, and in that, in order to be purified internally, that you have to, that you take this, this big, long roll of gauze, it's a couple inches wide, and you begin to eat it. And you eat it, and it works its way through your system, and it comes out eventually the other end. And aren't you thankful for grace? Um, and I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. 
Uh, to me, it sounds like, works like dental floss or something like that. Um, and, and I'm sure it's something will not be introduced at the YMCA uh, in America. Uh, but again, this is, this is one of those degrees or levels, you know, in yoga that people eventually move into. And the design is, the, the intention behind it, I understand. It's to be purified. But I'm so thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for us in redemption and in salvation and what the cross has wonderfully done because no one can ever really be clean until we're cleansed by him, till our sins, because it's a sin issue. That, that, that's, that's what people are grappling with. That, that's what people are trying to wash away. It, it's that, you know, that, 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 that sin, that original sin from the fall that's taken place in every human being. And it's only because of Jesus Christ that we can ever find a place of purity. And I'm so thankful for that, that I don't have to go through these rigorous, you know, different things in order to get purified, that, that we can confess our sins. Uh, we, can, we can look to the Lord to purify, to cleanse, to do a work within us. And so uh, <clears throat> the question comes here to Jesus in verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according uh, to the tradition of the elders, uh, but eat bread with unwashed hands. And I think it came in a condescending tone. Remember, they were always trying to diminish him or dismiss him in some kind of way. And so I think it came in a condescending, a sort of a mocking kind of a tone, because they believed that their standard of holiness was it. That's why I think, too, we, I think we need to be very careful of, of maybe uh, how Different Christian groups practice different things. I think it's easy sometimes to uh, cast aspersions or make judgments on, on groups that are different. Because I've been around the world, and I'll tell you what. Uh, Christian groups handle things very differently, but yet within the parameters of Scripture. We're not, I'm not talking about unscriptural things. But I'm talking about things that are, you know, that are biblical. But yet there may be di- you know, different you know, practices, and I think we have to be very careful, you know, relative to that when we look at somebody else and they may do it, you know, their practices may be a little differently than ours, and we may not feel comfortable with that, and that's why I thank the Lord for different churches. I thank God for each church, you know, has its own particular personality, and, uh, and I think, uh, you know, as, as people find their niche, you know, where they belong and so forth, and and one of the things I've always told folks uh, who come through and say, well, we're looking for a church. I don't try to recruit people because I want the Holy Spirit to recruit people. And he does a very good job when he does it. And I always tell folks, you know, you know when you get there, you're going to feel like you fit in. But I said one thing here, make sure of this. Make sure you're getting fed the Word of God. That that's absolutely critical um, to, uh, to finding that place where the Lord wants uh, to bless you and ultimately to use you. Now, remember this, Jesus is always perfect love, even when he says difficult things. Sometimes he says hard things. And it may even seem harsh when he says them. And he says something hard in verse uh, 6 when he says, he answers them, he says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Quoting here from Isaiah chapter 29. And again, he knew their motivation. We don't always know somebody's motivation. You know, he could say this. He could get away with it because he knew exactly where they were coming from. 
Um, and, and even as he spoke this truth to them, um, hopefully, you know, as they came under conviction, that they would see that they were wrong. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You know, God's assessment of societal morality is so different than ours. He sees, he sees things so differently. That's why, you know, you find out as you just study the Lord and walk with him, over the course of years, you're always learning something. You know, some little nuance, some new aspect you know, something, that the, something uh, you know, about the Lord and what he is like that he wants to incorporate within our lives. But you see, we have a righteousness that, that comes from him. It's imputed to us. It is simply given to us. Over in, uh, Paul speaks about it in Romans chapter 3. In, in verse 20, he says this. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law, the purpose of the, of the law was basically to expose sin, uh, to show sin. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was misappropriated, it was misunderstood, and somebody thought, well, you know, if I keep uh, at least part of the law, you know, I will be righteous. And the fact of the matter is, no one can keep it. Um, the writer, I think, of Hebrews, uh, or perhaps maybe it's a Paul, um, it says later that if we fail in one area, uh, that uh, we have failed to keep the law. Uh, the purpose of the law was never to make someone feel righteous in their own right, but it's basically to, for the revelation that comes, I can't keep this. I can't do this. And in that, turning to the Lord for his enablement and his power. But he says, now the righteousness of God apart are separate from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all, on all who will believe. There's no difference. So again, to, it's, the offer is to any and to all who will simply put their faith. And that's why, you know, when I think about the craziness, the insanity of hearing the gospel and not responding to it, and then going into an eternity without Christ. You know, when we share the gospel with someone, even though I understand a person doesn't realize it, just like none of us fully realized what, you know, what salvation would do for us, what Christ would do for us, what the gospel, what the, how the gospel would change our hearts, you know, before we actually took that step in and believed, because there's a certain amount of blindness there. But when you offer somebody the gospel... Uh, it's, in a sense, like giving them a check for a trillion dollars. Man, that's a lot of money, right? But you and I, and I think even now, presently, we don't fully apprehend, you know, because our feet are on this, on this earth and we're going through trials and struggles and different things of that particular nature. But I think when we finally cross over, we're going to have such a great understanding and appreciation for eternity, to be with him and what heaven is all about. And when you think about, when you compare what God has done for us in Christ, one trillion dollars is chump change. It's nothing compared to this gift that comes to us, this righteousness. In other words, you and I, anybody, 
when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they have the righteousness of Christ. Our sins are forgiven. <laughs> and all that accrues to Jesus now comes to that person who has put their faith and their trust in him. Even though they were a stinker, even though they were a rascal, even though they did nothing right their entire life. And some people say, that's not fair. That's not fair. Well, it may not seem fair to the self-righteous mind, but it's God's amazing plan of salvation to, to, to so radically alter us, to change us, to change our way of thinking, to change our way of life. And, and you know what? It, 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 it's only begun for us. It's only begun. He goes on to say, <clears throat> for all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So again, uh, the Lord's assessment of what people, the societal idea of morality is so vastly, vastly different. And of course, the Lord uh, changes that for us when we put our faith, when we put our trust in him. Now he says here in verse 7, <clears throat> he says it's vain worship. When you think about all the, the re religious rituals and rigors that people go through, thinking that they're pleasing God, that if it's not based and, and its root is not in the Bible. It's vain worship. It has no purpose. It has no meaning. It's empty. If it simply is not grounded in the truth. Which uh, makes a lot of things that are going on in our religious world today null and void. And many people are very careful and rigorous. Uh, I know sometimes within the cults. Um, and that's the thing about religion outside of gospel religion. It's always predicated upon you earning something, you working for something. And, and I've watched the cults over the years. I've watched them. And, man, they're working very hard uh, within the Mormon religion. Uh, young men basically have to give uh, two years of their life to missionary service. And they go all around the world. I can remember a number of times uh, Jehovah Witnesses, you know, coming to our door, uh, wanting to share, you know, their message, you know, with us. And, of course, we would always go out and get on the step with them and, and uh, go back and forth for an hour or so, uh, sharing the gospel and hoping. I remember one time, it was so funny, uh, uh, this uh, family showed up. I'm not sure what group they were with. It was... Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons or something. I forget what they're with. And, and, uh, and, and the wife here was the old pro. Now, they were a young couple, but she had been in it for a while, and he was a new convert to it. And so Margie was talking to her, and I was talking to this, this, this fellow, and they had their daughter uh, with them. And I got talking to him, and, and it got to a point where he was ready to accept Christ. I said, do you want to receive the Holy Spirit in your life? you want to receive Christ? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she flipped. His, his wife just kind of flipped because she knew what that exactly meant. And uh, uh, 
we did pray with him anyway, and I don't know what the long and short of it was, but uh, it was interesting that, uh, that, that this man was really open to that because he, you know, realized uh, to some degree that, hey, I need God in my life. And, um, yeah, and uh, so we would always, we would always, you know, talk to these folks when they showed up at our house. Now he says here, he goes on to say, laying aside the commandment of God, uh, you hold the traditions of men. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the truth can seem like a slap in the face. But sometimes that's good. Sometimes we need that. And the Lord has to do that here with these particular, this particular group. It says, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. He who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. In other words, uh, to the nth degree, uh, it was actually a capital crime. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, uh, that is a gift to God. In other words, practice is basically where um, it, was, it, was a, it was a thing called korban. And, uh, and if you had money that uh, you didn't want to use, you know, to maybe support your family or maybe give to the poor or something like that, you could say korban. And uh, you de- it was a designating that money just for God and God alone. And uh, people were doing that. And the fact is their families were hurting. Their parents were hurting. Their parents were in a difficult place. And they were using this um, regulation, religious regulation, uh, to exempt them from ministering, you know, to their parents. And, you know, one thing that, the, you know, the Bible tells, you know, you and me um, is that we need to reach out and help people. We, we need, you know, one of the things that Paul talks about, uh, I think we touched on it in Romans, that uh, if we have a job and we work, it's not just for the purpose of, you know, ourselves, but for helping other people. Uh, I was so blessed, you know, with the ladies. Uh, and, you know, the, the gals who put on the, the, the uh, auction, they're working all week. I mean, it is a big deal to, to, to put the thing all together, collating everything, um, you know, making the meal, the whole bit. I mean, they really do a great job. And, uh, and you know, it's like nobody has to ask them to do it. They just want to do it every year. And don't you love that about the Spirit of Christ? You know, the Spirit of Christ in us, he's, he's, he's generous. He's always motivating us, you know, to, to, to reach out, to minister to someone, to help someone, to get involved, to serve in some kind of capacity. I love that about the Lord. And, uh, but here, again, in the name of religion, they're using it uh, as a way to keep them from helping their own parents. Now, Jesus here, he comes really to the heart of the matter. You know, this not only seems, you know, radical to them, but it also, I think, is radical uh, to us. It was radical to them, you know, um, you know as, they, as they held the Scripture. They, they, they had the Bible. And it's amazing, isn't it? You can have the Bible. You can have the very Scriptures. And yet there's so much that we can miss. Um, so much there that I think that God wants to, to work into our hearts. So, you know, so I think that one of the dangers is for you and I to read the Bible through once or twice and think, well, I got it. <laughs> well, I've been reading the Bible for over 40 years and I realize I don't have it. 
And every time I read it, there's something, you know, something fresh, you know, something that he wants to speak, you know, into my heart and, and into my life. <clears throat> now, he calls here the common people. The reason being is the spiritual leaders had purposely kept people in the dark. Kept them in the dark, and the purpose for that is to control them. And I think you need to be very careful because sometimes that can happen in any really I've seen it happen in Christian circles. Where there's a controlling, you know, leadership, you know, telling people, you know, how to act, how to think, what to wear, and all these kinds of things. Be careful that you don't allow yourself to get in. Maybe you've maybe you've been through that. Maybe you've gone through that kind of a you know experience. And it's a very difficult thing. Oftentimes people are controlled, you know, by fear uh, and that sort of thing. And here Jesus is calling the people to himself because the spiritual leadership of the day could not be trusted in the way that they had handled things thus far. We see that in verse 4. He calls them to himself. He says, hear everyone and understand. Don't you love when the Bible says, you know, in Isaiah chapter 2, you know, come let us reason together. You know, when you come to the Bible and, and biblical truth, it's so re- God's so reasonable. I, I think sometimes we don't realize how reasonable God is until our minds are basically renewed by the Scripture. And I, I understand so much better of how gracious and good and kind and loving the Lord is today than I did 40 years ago. And I loved Him then, and I knew He loved me but I've come to understand and appreciate him so much more. And God is always saying, come, hey, come. Come, let us reason together. Let, let me reveal myself to you. Let, let me show you who I am. Now, in verse 15, he's speaking here about spiritual defilement. The subject here is food. Because I think this section here can be taken out of context. And I want you to notice as I read verse 15, he says, There is nothing that enters a man from outside that can defile him. Now he's speaking here, that's the subject, food. Because there are many things that can come into a person's heart and mind that can defile them, amen? Can defile them, can debase them, uh, can degrade them. And one of the things that, you know, that, uh, you know, I think that we have to deal with in our culture is the mass media. And how defiling some of the things that can be that come through mass media, entertainment media. And that's something that, you know, we have to, you know, deal with on a personal level. If we find ourselves, you know, opening ourselves up to something that can come into our hearts and minds, into our life and defiles. But Jesus here is, remember, he is speaking about food. And again, he's saying food will not defile you. It may make you sick, but it will not defile you. I remember walking the streets in uh, Hanoi uh, just a couple weeks ago, and there are so many food vendors on the street. And you know what? It looks so good. But you know what? I said, uh-uh, not going to do it. I knew if I ate something, I'd probably be in bed for the next 48 hours, or the case may be. But it's not going to spiritually defile anybody. 
may make you sick, but that's a whole different situation. I'm always glad for the disciples' questions, you know, because there's a, a, a clarification, you know, that comes, you know, with the disciples, you know, uh, asking a question. I think, you know, for most of us when we were in school, sometimes we were afraid to ask questions. Because if you ask questions and everybody looks at you like, well, why didn't you, you, you should have known that. Uh, we don't want to look dumb, right? Uh, but the disciples, I love these guys. Uh, they're nice and dumb uh, like me. And uh, so they ask the right questions and it brings clarification uh, to these particular issues. He says, are you still without understanding also? Uh, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? And again, there are things like drugs, booze, pornography. Yes, these things can defile a person's life. But what he's saying here is what we eat or don't eat will not change our character. It may change our waistline. And sometimes, you know, Christian groups have gotten into, uh, you know, dietary regulations. And if you want to have a strict diet, that's fine. That's great. Um, you, you, uh, you won't be any holier as a result of it, but you may be healthier. But the problem is, is when somebody or a group has dietary regulations, that they begin to think that this is holiness. Oh, th you know, because of what I don't eat or, you know, what I do eat or what I don't eat. Again, it may have a physical benefit. Nothing wrong with a diet. You know, we were talking Wednesday night about you know, the benefits of fasting. You know, it will help us physically. But what we do or don't eat isn't going to change our character. And of, co of course, that's the point that Jesus is making here. Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. So, now, the dietary regulations, remember, were for the Jews. Okay, they had a very uh, rigorous dietary regimen, uh, what we would call today kosher. And uh, remember at one point, you know, Peter, even after, if you look at Acts chapter 10, and I like to, I like to gauge the book of Acts when you talk about a chronology of the book of Acts, um, over the course, Acts takes, takes place over the course of maybe th roughly 30 years, okay? So when you get to chapter 10, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that Peter is about 10 years after the Pentecost experience. But he's still dealing with kosher issues. And remember, the Lord um, is speaking to him about that. And the sheet comes down out of heaven three different times. And, and the Lord says to Peter, rise and kill. Peter, rise and kill and eat it. He says, not so, Lord. <laughs> kind of an oxymoron. You don't say not so, Lord. He's the Lord or, you know, or not. And, uh, but uh, the Lord was teaching him two different things. The Lord was teaching him that the diet, Jewish dietary code now was nullified in Christ. And he was also teaching him this. That there was going to be a Gentile was going to show up at his door, and God had a God had the gospel, you know, uh, and a plan for the Gentiles. And remember, you remember the, the the messengers that come from Cornelius's house, and Peter goes and preaches to this house full of Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit falls upon the whole group. But over in Colossians two, Paul says this relative to the whole matter of dietary regulations 
for us. Even Sabbath observance. He says this. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't go to church, okay? Because we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Okay, there was, a, even in the sa- Sabbath uh, uh, requirement, there was a principle there. But he says, don't let anybody judge you, you know, in these matters. It's not a legalistic issue. He says, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, the keeping of Sabbaths. Don't let anybody judge you about this because that was a big thing. The early church was all Jewish. And so a lot of that stuff that just sort of got brought, you know, into Christianity. And then here's what Paul says. He says, all those things, all the regulations, the, the clothing, the food, the Sabbaths, the religious rites and so forth, the, the festivals, the holidays, they were all pointing to Jesus Christ. He said they were a shadow of things to come. But the substance is Christ. Jesus is the substance. You know, why, why continue to hang on to all the shadows? He and he alone. He's our substance. Now in verse 20 through 23, we're going to close with this. Jesus is saying, here's the issue. It's what comes out of the heart. What comes out of a person. That's what defiles the individual. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Adulteries, fornications, in other words, the, the entire gamut of sexual sins. Isn't it interesting we're dealing with all these things today? Because the heart's the heart. Human nature is the same. And that's why when you look at the Bible, it's timeless. Because it speaks to the heart. It speaks to the, the inner person. For from within, out of the heart, proceed these evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murder. See, the, the Bible tells us what? Hatred is what? The seedbed for murder. You know, when I, sometimes I, we watch these uh, Dateline mysteries, and they're always about somebody murdering somebody. And it's, it's, it's such a repetition. It's like you realize how ridiculous and how stupid it is that people are going to continue to murder other people and think they can get away with it. But a simple thing like hatred. You know, it's a lot of times people, you know, People don't really connect the dots with certain kind of behaviors, but the Bible clearly delineates and tells us where certain behavior, where certain dispositions and mentalities, where they take us. Uh, Thefts and covetousness, I think those two kind of go together. They also generate, you know, envy, jealousy. Uh, wickedness needs no explanation there. Uh, blasphemy, uh, I'm sorry, deceit, um, you know, which basically is exploiting, take advantage, lying, lying to people, using people. Uh, lewdness, uh, any kind of lustful desire, an evil eye. Isn't it interesting that you can, you can 
identify and see so much what's going on in someone's life by just looking at their eyes. You ever notice that? The eyes just sort of reveal, you know, you know the, the disposition, the mood, all those sorts of things. It's amazing when you just, you know, observe someone's eyes, how much you can tell, you know, about that person or what they're going through. Um, and he speaks here, well, about an evil eye. Blasphemy, that means slandering, insulting God. Uh, pride, you know, basically is the elevation of self. Uh, and, and something like foolishness. Uh, aren't you glad that uh, some of the foolish decisions that you and I made back in the early days that, you know, sometimes I look back and think, wow, boy, that was stupid. Why did I do that? And, and people do crazy things. Did you ever uh, see this America's home video? Some of the some of the falls and things that people do, it's like, and everybody's laughing about it, and it's like, oh, you know. It was like uh, there was these, uh, these kids on a bridge. It was in the news about a year ago. They were on a bridge, and they're all thinking about jumping off and talking about it and laughing about it. It was on, you know, on, captured on a video, and the one girl leans over, and her girlfriend pushes her. Oh, and she goes down like, it's like 90 feet or 100 feet. She really got hurt. And both, you know, that girl, the victim, and her friend are going to have to live with that. And it's amazing, the foolish things, you know, that the, that the natural man can do. Man, I'll tell you what, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, working in our life, helping us with our decisions even sometimes the smallest decisions. You know, we need his intervention. We need his help. We need his guidance. And so he says, all these evil things come from within and they defile a man. The thing that we have to understand about these is that as a human being, even though I'm saved, I'm still capable of doing some of these things, maybe all of these things. And I think one of the examples is David, King David. I mean, he's the sweet psalmist of Israel. He penned out scripture. He was anointed by Samuel, the prophet, for the special task of being the king. He was the king, the, the, the God-anointed king. And yet, he sees a woman, brings her into his chamber, commits adultery and, and rather than just dealing with it to cover it up he has her husband murdered <laughs> it's David this is David and, and to me this is just simply a reminder you know what we need to stay close to Jesus we need to stay close to him he's our hope he's our help the, the work of God in our lives is protective and preventative. He's always working to prevent us from doing some stupid thing or saying some stupid thing. I want to close with this in Ezekiel. Ezekiel prophesies and reminds us, actually, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, 
what's it, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and verse 10, uh, speak about the old nature and the things that the old nature is so very capable of. And that's why the Bible tells us we need nothing less than a brand new nature. We need a heart change. We need a new transplant, if you will. And it's not a transplant necessarily of a physical heart, but of a new nature. And that's what he does for us in Christ. Listen to Ezekiel. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and you will do them. Jeremiah puts it like this. And I like what Jeremiah says. It's when he introduces in chapter 31, verse 20, 31, the only time the term new covenant is mentioned in the Old Testament. The only time. He said there's going to be a new covenant. The old covenant is going to be uh, basically phased out. There's going to be a new covenant. He says this, I will put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And he says, they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. Man, I want to tell you what. The gift of forgiveness. The cleansing that is available to you and me and to our entire culture. But you see, it has to be real in us. If it's not real in us, how can we ever have hope for anyone else? My dear friends, the world is always trying to defile us. We live in a dirty world. But the good news is we can be sprinkled we can be cleansed, we can be renewed, we can be restored, we can be repaired. Somebody was asking me about my trip to Vietnam uh, in the cafe um, after first service. And I was telling them that and they were sharing with me, they knew somebody who was a Vietnam veteran and had really um, serious traumatic um, repercussions that a lot of people died around this person and he had what is called survivor's guilt. And you know, there's a lot of things that can happen to us, you know, in this life. We had a, we had a lady in first service, her daughter was murdered. Her daughter was murdered. And most of us, we, we, we can appreciate the pain of that, thinking about it. But it's very hard for us to really enter in to understand what that must be like. And it happens all the time. And there are things in us that only traumatic things. And one, one of the things that I was telling um, this person, because they wanted a quick rundown of what happened for me in Vietnam, and I, and I just thought of it. I, I don't think of it every time of my trip, but I thought this, that 
when I was there and looking at all these Vietnamese faces, and I said, because it was my 50-year anniversary. It was 1969 when I was there, and it was 2019. And I didn't realize as I was there and I was writing that to somebody, it just hit me, that's Jubilee year. That's the Jubilee in, in, in the Bible. 50 years, in the, in the f every 50 years, everything was renewed in, in, in Jewish culture. It was a year release. They called it the year release. As I'm s sitting in this meeting, and, and this is not something you even plan to say. It just, it just comes out. And I said, through the translator, I said, you know something? I was here in Vietnam 50 years ago, and I have thought about Vietnam every week of my life for the last 50 years. And a few other things like that. And again, I don't know what release transpired through that. But there were five people there in that meeting that I fought against in South Vietnam. I didn't know that until the very last day. And we bombed the life out of North Vietnam. And I wonder how many of their family, their relatives, their grandparents died in that. And if in any way God sent me there to let them know that even 50 years later they were engraved on my heart, that perhaps maybe it helped them to maybe have a release. We never know, do we? We never know what the Lord's going to do. But let's look to him this morning in prayer. Father, we, we are so thankful for the cross. It reconciles us to you. It sets us free, Lord. It transforms and changes our lives. Yes, there are painful, traumatic things that take place in our life. But Lord, you have a way of, of binding up the wounds. Maybe we can't forget them. But we thank you, Lord, that you can mend us. You can repair us. You can restore us. You can, you can work changes that are far beyond anything that we can even understand. Because, Lord, we cannot fully understand what takes place deep down on the spiritual level, but you do. So, Father, I pray for us on behalf of us. We look to you today. And, Lord, afresh, Lord, we give you our hearts. We realize the best, the best place, the most safest place for our hearts, Lord, are to be in your hands. Lord, protect us. Lord, uh, protect us from getting dirty, defiled, defeated, Lord, in this world, we want to live for you. We want to live for you. We want to walk with you. We want to know and love you in a deeper way. So, Father, as we are in this very traditional Christmas time of year, Lord, I pray that perhaps you might use our lives in some way to reach out to someone who's hurting, someone's needy, someone's lonely, somebody's depressed. Lord, um, Use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.